Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. I want to thank you, as always, for joining us. In looking back on the last year, I started this podcast to respond to the extraordinary events in the markets and the economy, which resulted from the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, as we look towards the one-year anniversary of the widespread social restrictions that we experienced, and I remember my own final flight, March 10th, flying back from New York City, I feel that there are a number of new challenges ahead to discuss, but also new opportunities. The massive monetary response and the continued fiscal cash outlay that we are experiencing is being replicated around the world. Yields remain very low, and investors are looking to risk assets, particularly stocks, for return opportunities. And there remain areas of concern. Taxes, trade policy, and a still very uncertain consumer environment are three that we will continue to spotlight in the coming months. Today, we will touch a bit on regulation and rotation, which will also represent a big part of the 2021 narrative. Last week, we talked about earnings, and in discussing those earnings, we highlighted the relative outperformance of companies when compared with analysts' expectations. Tech companies in general have outperformed over this last period, both this quarter, as well as the previous quarters from an earnings perspective, but haven't necessarily benefited from that strong execution. In fact, over the last several months, while big tech companies have delivered gains for investors, they have lagged other sectors, which have felt a much bigger lift from this reflationary rotation that is starting to take hold. So one of the outstanding questions as we move into this year is how will this dual-edged sword of cyclical rotation and enhanced scrutiny of big tech impact the markets? The challenge, of course, is that any relative weakness in tech stocks, even if it's due to rotation, will have a disproportionately negative impact on the major benchmarks here in the U.S. So in order to have very strong returns in 2021 in the S&P 500 and certainly within the NASDAQ, New investors or increased allocations to U.S. equities will need to occur to increase the overall pool of funds rather than just experiencing this cannibalization that we're fearful of within the market from technology to these rotation, um, reflationary rotation or cyclical sectors. Given the outlook for bonds, money movement into equities is certainly a possibility, and, and we are already seeing that. The other important factor to consider is the difference in the sector makeup of other indexes, such as small cap and international indexes. These indexes tend to have lower weightings in technology than the S&P 500, and therefore could benefit more from the relative outperformance of non-technology sectors. That is actually what we've seen over the last few weeks as well, as not only have we seen increased flow to uh, benchmarks or indexes or stocks within the universe of the Russell 2000 and the MSCI EFA, we've actually seen those indexes start to outperform because they have a higher weight in these cyclical sectors that have been outperforming technology. The positive, though, 
for tech companies, as was laid bare by this or the the quarter's earnings reports, is that engagement remains very high. So the topic of engagement is everywhere. At home, I'm trying to maximize engagement with my kids in a way that my parents and grandparents certainly would never have imagined. At work, employee engagement is a focus not only for my HR partners and corporate HR partners in general, but it's a metric on which leaders are measured. The lack of consumer or customer engagement for a particular product or business line can torpedo the entire thing, even if there has been significant effort and cost put into building it. And engagement scores can even be used to persuade top talent to join an organization. But where engagement is most in focus is obviously in the digital world. And considering we've spent much of the last 12 months engrossed, in the digital world to a greater extent than ever before, it makes sense that it would be something that's being spotlighted by companies that are benefiting from it. Earnings calls point to the variety of metrics that can measure this engagement, things like digital ad revenues, new subscribers, and average revenue per user, ARPU, um, for those of you who are tired of hearing jargon, (laughs) are just a few examples of those. Some of the impressive results for the companies that we've seen in the technology and communication services sectors is directly attributable to this stronger engagement over the last year. And that's hardly surprising given the shift that we've seen to a work from home, school from home, everything at home environment. So with the American consumer proving to be such a captive audience and this, you know, growth of digital ad spend, we have seen the rising value of companies like Alphabet and Facebook continue essentially unabated um, over the course of the last year, despite the pandemic. Um, And this uh, in large part is due to the targeted advertising and the success of that advertising uh, that these companies have used. So there's no way better to capture the audience for a product or service than by relying on data that tells you that customers or consumers might be interested in such a product or service, even in a very subtle way. Um, Amazon, for instance, has created an entire ecosystem of sellers that are vying for the opportunity to appear in that little ribbon at the top of your screen. Um, And streaming services are launching weekly, responding to consumer desires to be able to customize their viewing experience. Existing services are being rewarded with new subscribers when a new series goes viral. So whether it's pinpointing products and services for consumers and marketing them explicitly or implicitly through your platforms in order to create uh, a higher percentage of action by those consumers, or if it's playing on this fear of missing out uh, with something going viral, whether it's a product or a show, All of those things are really based on the fact that companies are realizing how important it is to utilize the digital experience to improve their businesses. Branding and marketing are more important than ever. And so while we may malign this pull of the digital world and the time that it detracts from other forms of personal connection, it's clearly working, which is probably the number one reason that technology stocks and communication services stocks and companies like Google and Facebook, Amazon, 
um, are, are likely to continue to post strong results is because they have found a model that works. The negative, of course, is that here in the United States, there's clearly a bipartisan effort to affect greater, greater regulation on these big technology companies over the next few years. Uh, government officials increasingly, um, as I mentioned here, but also in the European Union, are voicing concerns about big technologies' access to data and the reach of their businesses that create an anti-competitive environment from, you know, especially for, for smaller entrants. Um, the data that underpins the effectiveness of digital advertising is one of the major targets because of the privacy concerns around that. Um, despite the fact that that is all um, fairly well understood that a lot of this data is being collected, um, you know, the, the potential ramifications of that and the way that that data could be utilized later um, is certainly something that's on the minds of technologists ever, everywhere. And disruption in this space is a, a, such a threat um, with the competition amongst these platforms is so fierce that the importance of your data set and the data set that you're able to mine to be able to create this, this seemingly customized digital experience is, is incredibly important. And so that points to investing in the space, which is also challenging. Um, investors should be looking, in our view, to add exposure to long-term trends, um, beneficiaries from those long-term trends. And so whether that's from, you know, semiconductor companies that could potentially continue to, to be leveraged to deliver a digital experience in um, things like cars or to social media companies that are potentially doing something different, but are more likely to be able to pivot uh, with potential changes in regulation. Um, for the largest and most successful of these companies, it's clear that the combination of this homegrown innovation as well as the acquisition activity they've had over the last several years has provided a clear competitive advantage. That's not going to be easy to unwind overnight. Um, but a change in these regulatory wins could force these companies to work ever harder to innovate and grow their revenues and earnings. So will there be potential disruption from regulation? Perhaps um, the European Union has fined um, some of these larger companies, such as Google, significant sums of money over the last several years for their anti-competitive behavior. It really hasn't managed to upend their business in any way. Um, while it's difficult to price out at this detailed level the risks to the companies, it certainly is easy to see how opportunities, based on some of these things that we've talked about in this call today, could be presented to purchase these stocks against these headwinds. But I think it's important to monitor the regulatory environment um, and which way these political winds are blowing as an important factor in the decision on how to build a portfolio of companies that seemingly have very long runways in front of them, um, albeit with per perhaps maybe a few speed bumps along the way. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. 
If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and the year ahead by visiting bostonprivate.com. If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're on our site. And be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. I look forward to coming to you again next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.